As we constantly move forward, there's a continuing and urgent need for higher education. It's necessary for tomorrow's future and for a dynamically changing workforce. As the need for education is changing, so is education itself. Welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education with your host, Dave Goldberg. In this program, we'll discuss the complex changes that are being made to higher education today, and we'll help you stay ahead of tomorrow. If you're a student, educator, or in the workforce. Now, here's Dave Goldberg. Good day and welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. I am Dave Goldberg. I'm your show host. And Big Beacon is a movement to transform higher education at bigbeacon.org. In every episode, we explore some of the innovators and innovations that are changing the world of higher education all around us. And you can follow live tweeting of the show, ask questions, or make comments about the show during the program on Twitter at hashtag BigBeacon. The first segment of Big Beacon Radio is sponsored by Olin College, a new kind of engineering college, a privately funded national lab for educational redesign with a passion for creating inspiring learning experiences. Find out more at olin.edu. And today, uh, I feel very fortunate to uh, to welcome to the show the the, the president of uh, Connecticut College, uh, Catherine Bergeron. Welcome to the show, Catherine. Thank you very much, Dave. I'm so happy to be here. Well, it's great to have you, and and uh, we have. Uh, I'd say that the show emphasizes in the trench kinds of uh, leadership more than at the top kinds of leadership. But we don't discriminate against college presidents, and we're ha- we're so happy to have you here. But Catherine, you're a, a scholar, a, a musician, a faculty member, an academic leader. But let's go back in the time machine a little bit. And um, what were some of the early influences that put you on your current path? Well, I don't know how far back you want to go. Uh, this that's up. To, that's kind of that's up time. to you. Yeah. So <laughs> so yeah. If we have to go back to the log cabin, so be it. But uh, you know, it's up to you where what makes sense. Well, there sometimes uh, I've uh, been surprised to think about how long I've spent in the academic world. Um, in some ways, I never left school because uh, after college, I went on immediately to to teach at a, uh, at a private high school and uh, Phillips Academy in Andover, which was mm. like being at a little college. And I, I discovered that I, I really liked this. I liked being in this, in this world, and I was good at it. And so that actually did lead me on a path to get the doctorate and, and then to go permanently into teaching. But I would also say that each one of the experiences, because I've been at a number of different institutions in the course of my career, I've been fortunate in that respect, each one has been a, a very, very different kind of journey. Uh, and so, you know, the idea of lifelong learning is uh, very much a theme in my own personal development. Yeah, and and uh, so, you've, you know, so I was looking at, at the, the list of schools that, you've attended and also taught at and and so you've and you haven't discriminated on the coast you've been on the west coast and the east coast both and uh, um, I also spent uh, almost two years in Texas writing a book so uh, I'm very proud of that all right so you got the middle of you've got the so you've just spoken to the the middle of the country and that's that's great and and um on, on the program, we're in addition to you know, formative experiences, we're also interested in unleashing experiences, yeah. like Mark Somerville and I talk about, and a whole new engineer, and and those 
I think one of the things I like about the show is hearing the different flavors and different ways, um, positive and negative, both how people um, find their way to doing something authentic in their lives. So uh, who or who or what uh, has helped unleash you to become the person you are? Well, uh, that's a wonderful question. And uh, in some ways, I, I feel like I do have to go back to uh, the, the power of the liberal arts uh, where I, I went to college at Wesleyan University and, and uh, in the 70s. And that was a very uh, amazing time at that school for all kinds of reasons. But I think about my experience there in a pretty um, specific way that, uh, I mean, in terms, I like your, I like your verb, unleashing, because uh, there's something about certain formative educational experiences that make you realize that there's something in you that you didn't even know was there, right? Mm. You could say that that's partly the power of the education itself. It's also very much due to the quality of the mentors that are in your life. But I would have to say that I had an abundance of teachers at Wesleyan who who encouraged us uh, who, through their own actions to look at problems through very different kinds of lenses, right? The idea was, or to, to think about the world from multiple kind of frames of reference. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, there was no off-the-shelf lens, you know, <laughs> So it wasn't that you were trying to see the world through their perspective, but that they, yeah. there was a perspective that was so unusual and and somehow off the off the the angle from what it was that you might have expected that um, one began to discover very quickly that that was actually where the learning w- would take place by being in that play by finding that spot where where you discover what a problem is, yeah. that you can name it, and then, and then you find your way around it. Uh, so uh, that was, uh, I had, I had a, 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 like I said, an abundance of teachers, but a particularly teachers in the, uh, in the music department at that time who, who uh, really looked at the world through these incredibly large frames that had to do with um, the whole sensory uh, apparatus, but also a very rich theoretical uh, way of thinking about the world. Yeah, and and um, I'm just I want to dig at this, just paw at this a little bit longer. And you know, so Mark and I talk, and, and people can dispute this, and and but our 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 summary of the unleashing equation, if you will, is sort of some somewhere there's someone and it can it can be yourself who mm-hmm. trusts you to then have the courage to do something that you might not otherwise have done now it doesn't have to be uh, go on a hunger strike or change the world but uh, single-handedly but but somehow something takes place where someone trusts you to do something you might not otherwise mm-hmm. have done are there any particular people or experiences that that you can recall from, oh, from that time. It's almost, want, hard, uh, not to yes. recall, almost yeah. hard to recall an experience that didn't, didn't. take okay. that form <laughs> for me. And, um, 
I, I think about it in the in the nature of the assignments that were given. Um, uh, I remember writing. I took a seminar in Kierkegaard, um, in the in the writings of Kierkegaard, and uh, by a famous Kierkegaard scholar who was in the philosophy department at the time. And uh, we had a paper that um, the assignment was simply this phrase. On feet so formed, they leave no footprints. And then uh, there were no instructions. <laughs> okay. So um, do you get what I'm saying, Dave? Yes. <laughs> the idea was find what the problem is, find out what is being asked here, mm-hmm. and then say something. Speak to this. Speak to this, yes. Nice. And uh, and so it's a, it's a little bit like uh, in this case, in in, in a humanistic uh, uh, problem solving, it's about you know engineering the problem in uh, in a completely new and completely new way. But it also means um, using your own creativity to figure out what is being asked of you. So um, I don't know whether that was a good example. I no, I love that example, and and also I want to um, shine a light on you know. So you you mentioned that a lot of this was done in the context of music. You're a musician and a music, yeah. you know, more yeah. primarily yeah. as a, an academic, a music historian. And to my way of thinking, the arts uh, are, are a special and in some sense undervalued place in the academy for embodied practice. And so I'm uh-huh. I'm curious to what extent is is music and your training in music and your and your understanding of music mm-hmm. tied to uh, how you approach leadership and change in the academy. Well, I think there are a lot of ways to respond to that. I I think one of the things that's uh, very very important about music study. Well, I mean uh, there are lots of things that I I like to say about music. One is that people just forget that it is actually at the center of everything in the academy. <laughs> it really is at the crossroads of, you know, history and art and mathematics and physics yep. and philosophy <laughs> and this area of, of, you know, humanistic discipline and the arts and, and the quantitative and formal. So, you know, it's, it's got all of it right there. So it is the quintessential liberal art. Um, but the part about music that I think is deeply affecting for those who study it, and particularly when you're studying it in college, is, is the very fluid nature of um, the kind of work that you're doing that you might call theoretical or historical, and the part that you just, you just used the word embodied, the kind that has to do with practice. Mm-hmm. So there is no distinction uh, at a certain point in your music study that between the theory and the practice, especially when you're doing it in the context of um, a liberal arts education. And, and actually, it's a very powerful thing to realize that the, the thoughts that you're thinking or the new thoughts that you're being um, uh, encouraged to think about, about sound that is not capturable in certain ways um, and then the actual act of, of making sound, that those two things are actually always in conversation with one another. Um, and I think that's been a very important dimension of, of almost every way, everything that I've done uh, since, uh, that, since the beginning of my education in music. 
especially starting in college. So, because uh, I, I think of that, that combination uh, does change the way your brain works. It does, changes the way that you approach uh, most, uh, most issues and problems. It changes the way that you listen because you may discover that there are certain kinds of solutions that come only by developing a kind of listening. There are certain um, unbelievable experiences <laughs> that happen only through musical um, uh, education where you discover there's a moment when you can hear something that you couldn't hear before. And to me, that's an incredible metaphor. Well, and yeah, and I love of, that. The kind of leadership that um, one strives for um, in the kind of work that I'm doing now, for example. And, that you and recognize you, that, the, yeah. that there's a moment when you can yeah. actually hear something. And why does it ha- how does that happen? By continuing to keep a place open for the thing that you don't hear. Mm. And it comes. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you say this matter-of-factly, and, and maybe that's where I was headed with the question, is I think that there are certain ways in which that kind of embodied listening is maybe more natural to someone in your field. Say, I mean, that if we think about the, uh, uh, the uh, oh, say, the uh, pecking order and the academy and, and those uh-huh. things that are most highly valued, and so you think, I, I think of physics and things that are almost completely disembodied and very abstract and uh-huh. mathem- mathematics and in the social sciences and humanity, the economics and, and things that are, that, are, that are not at all embodied. And I guess that's the sense in which I meant under undervalued uh, from a from a whole perspective and kind of a performance perspective in the world um, after after school we school tends to overvalue reason and tends to undervalue practice and performance in the world comment um, well I think that has been I think that might be a good description of a of a kind of uh, uh, Old-fashioned notion of education, <laughs> okay. and I and think that's that's the thing. Yeah, that's and hopefully we're talking about something else here today. I, um, uh, when you joined uh, Connecticut College as its uh, president in 2014, you initiated a strategic planning process. And many such, uh, I get, you know, I remember some going through. And in my, you can probably see the emotion in my voice change, even just recalling mm-hmm. the moment of strategic planning processes at the various schools I've been been to. But uh, in our conversation before the show, you suggested that there that something different took place and and was intended in that strategic planning process. What what inspired what what was that, and and what inspired a different kind of strategic planning um, for you when you assumed the presidency? Well, I think the first thing I should say is that when I assumed the presidency in January of 2014, I came in the middle of a year, and it was a very important year because the faculty at Connecticut College had just reached a a critical point in their own thinking about how they wanted to do liberal education at Connecticut College. They had just ratified at the December faculty meeting the set of principles on which they wanted their new curriculum to rest. And, um, and so the very first meeting I had in my office in January was 
a, um, was with two of the faculty leaders, the head of our equivalent of faculty senate and yep. the head of our educational planning committee came to see me and they said, look, this amazing thing has just happened. We had an overwhelmingly positive vote on these principles. We want to keep going and we want you to be a part of that. Will you, will you, uh, be part of a, uh, of a revision week that we want to schedule in the next, you know, month where we, Host workshops and discussions, and and bring the campus together to think about how we're going to do liberal education at Connecticut College. And I said I wouldn't, I wouldn't miss that for the world. And and off we went. There was yep. a, a a fantastic uh, momentum that was generated from this work, and it was clear to me that it was going to be very important for the college and me as the new leader to keep that work going through this transition. And then it took another 18 months from that point and a a lot of very, very serious work, more working groups and, and really strategy planning for what emerged, which was a, uh, a final, um, well, a series of votes that actually created what we call connections, our new approach to liberal education at Connecticut college. And <laughs> that was an educational vision on which then another strategic planning process was built. I think it's very important because we are educational institutions. And if you're going to do strategy, you need to figure out whether the way you're doing education is the way you want it to be or not. Mm. <laughs> and so I think that that deep work on the part of the faculty that took place in those early months of my presidency was so critical then to the larger um, discussion about what Connecticut College was going to do in the next 10 years. Um, And that process then followed very shortly upon the process of creating connections. But I see the uh, I see the new strategic plan is being built on the strength of the educational vision of the new curriculum. And and I want to dig into the connections curriculum. Uh, we need to take a little bit of a break, but when we come back, how about we uh, jump into you know what connections is and um, what some of those principles were and and uh, where it is today. How about that? Okay, that sounds great. I can't wait. This is Big Beacon Radio with our special guest, uh, Catherine Bergeron. Stay with us. In the next segment, we'll talk about the uh, Connections curriculum at Connecticut College. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of 3Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg 
at 3joy.com or browse the 3joy website, www.3joy.com today. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back to Big Beacon Radio, and our second segment is sponsored by 3Joy Associates and a whole new engineer. Get the training, coaching, and change leadership consultation to help transform your educational institution. And get the book that is Transforming Higher Education, A Whole New Engineer, The Coming Revolution in Engineering Education at wholenewengineer.org. It's not just for engineers anymore. And and we're back with uh, Catherine Bergeron, president of Connecticut College, and, and we well, we've been talking about a lot of stuff, but we ended talking about the um, inspiration in the fa- in a faculty process for the what has become the Connections uh, curriculum. And I, and Catherine, you mentioned at, at the end of the last segment that, um, and I, I can only imagine these faculty conversations, and I, I can't really imagine a faculty coming together on something. Um, as complex or as different as all that. And so what, what in the heck motivated uh, a fact? I mean, so and maybe it wasn't viewed as such a big change, but when I look at the connections curriculum, there's, there's a bunch of pretty transformative stuff in there. So what, what, it, what got the faculty off of its uh, balkanized turf wars and, and culture wars to kind of come together to do something as interesting as connections? Well, I think that uh, there are a number of, answers to that question. The first is, I think, the kind of work that any very, very dedicated um, faculty should be doing, and that is looking at the way that they approach education and trying to decide whether it's, uh, whether it's working anymore. You know, the model that we've had for the liberal arts is a hundred-year-old model, the notion that there would be kind of um, a set of courses that represented the breadth of the student's learning, and then a set of courses that represented more disciplinary focus, right? Uh, that concept has been around for at least 100 years. The question was, okay, this made sense for the 20th century. Does it make sense for the 21st century? And our faculty essentially said no. Uh, and they did that on the basis of work that had already been happening at the college for two or more decades in some centers for interdisciplinary scholarship uh, that encouraged students to explore over the course of three years, sophomore, junior, and senior year, uh, a, a rich problem from multiple different uh, disciplinary perspectives. And so they effectively took the good evidence, the market research, so to speak, yep. That, yep. that had come from the active 
producing students through these centers. They had students who were uh, who went into those centers, who applied to get in and were accepted, and did the program. Received a certificate at the end, in addition to the other work that they did um, in the major and and the baccalaureate degree. And so these certificates became a kind of uh, uh, a new entry point for thinking about how we should do education for all of the students, not just for the 20% who went through these special programs. So I think that's one of the radical things. It's very easy to add a center on a college or university campus, (laughs) add a new program, add a major, add a new center. It's very difficult to change education for every single student on the campus. And that's what the faculty did. And it was a breathtaking experience watching and participating in that process. Well, and I hear two different elements that we've talked at length on the show before. So one, if, if you look at Sarah Sarasvati's scholarship on entrepreneurship, there's this notion of effectuation or, or what Peter Sims has called little bets. So there's sort of the little bet of the certificate that then goes, oh, that that's interesting. That that was pretty. That, that was easy to do, and it worked. Um, but then the, there's also the sense in which that those um, those places became hot houses of the kind of culture that you were, culture and emotional experience that you were hoping to capture. And so it was seeing that and feeling that that was actually important. I'm sort of extrapolating no, I a bunch here. but very astute. I think you're picking up on something very important because in the end, when you want to make change, um, you know, if, if, let's say, the faculty collectively comes to the recognition, as they did, yeah. that something needs to change, you, you don't just invent something out of a whole cloth. It has to be based on, on some essential characteristics that define where you are and who you are as an institution. And so... I think it was really essential that the things that were already strong, and, you know, our new strategic plan is called Building on Strength, the things that were already strong and, the, yep. and working extremely well and that produced what seemed to be superior outcomes for our students would be the place that you would, be, you would look to make um, further transformation. Um, oh, and and so con- that's what happened. And that's consistent with the change literature and, or, you know, in... Uh, in private sector organizations on bright spots and, and, uh, and playing to what are the things that have been successful that are different and, and building on those rather than sort of coming to building some abstract structure that hasn't been tested in any, in any real way. Yeah, and I think one of the things that's interesting about Connections, too, is that it doesn't throw out um, yes. some of the mechanisms that have been I think, quite important for uh, higher education in the 20th century. Um, That is, it doesn't throw out the idea of disciplinary focus because I think that's a very important aspect of a student's uh, intellectual development during this uh, period of 18 to 22, which is, you know, our traditional student uh, experience in higher education. Uh, But it actually... um, does something very important, which is to ratchet up the student engagement by adding another dimension and saying it isn't just a question of what's your major, but the question of what's your question? What is it that you have cared about? What is it that 
you have wondered about, and is there something that you'd like to do about those questions? And so what connections, the, the, the genius of connections is the, a new dimension. Uh, after the first year where students are in a first-year seminar and exploring the, the notion of what their four-year uh, experience will be like uh, while also in a focused seminar-slash-research kind of experience, uh, they also then in their sophomore year move on to choose not just a major but what we're calling an integrative pathway. And the pathway is a series of courses and other experiences that are drawn together under the umbrella of, of, a, of some kind of organizational theme. So a pathway in entrepreneurship, a pathway in peace and conflict, a pathway in sustainability, a pathway in creativity, a pathway on the body. Uh, and so each one of these thematic uh, organizational structures allow students to explore their question from multiple different disciplinary vantage points. Then in the junior year, they add more to that, that experience. They go deeper by connecting um, it, their question, exploring their question through uh, internships, research projects, study across yeah. the globe. And in the senior year, they tie it all together in an integrative project. So the idea is that reflection, looking back, thinking about what you've made, and then making something to demonstrate what it all, how it all comes together is part of the integrative four-year experience. No, and I, lo- I love the uh, integrative uh, pathway, and I, the structures seem um, really, uh, really pleasing and nice, and, uh, and you can – and listeners can go on the uh, – Connecticut College uh, Connections um, website and, and see see more uh, detail on these things. And I was as I was listening to you, I was struck by a number of things. Uh, you know, and actually this this sense of starting with purpose. I was thinking back yeah. to yeah. the iFoundry experiment where we really for the you know first time we asked these incoming freshmen in engineering and, and you, in professional education you you almost never ask why. Yeah, but we asked. We said, "Well, why? Why do you want to be an iFoundry? Why do you want to be an engineer?" And the answers were beautiful, and and the faculty were riveted by them because yeah. we so we're sitting around a table. I remember a meeting. We were sitting around the table and realized, you know, we don't ask this enough. Yes. And then you go and you check the literature on intrinsic motivation, and of course, you know, why is a really important, uh, an important motivator if you want. Um, other than motivation for for grades and and um, yeah, yeah. and it just generate it can be so uh, generative of of such a beautiful experience. Comment. Well, it can be so important to ask that question for students also to realize that they are perhaps choosing something for the wrong reason. Exactly. Now, yeah. if you don't ever ask, they may be on the wrong train. <laughs> One of the questions that I, I get now, too, from parents and people as we, uh, as we talk about this, so we just started the, with the class of 2020. They, yep. So um, this year's first-year class is the first to, to be exploring this new approach. And um, parents sometimes say, well, you know, what if my child doesn't have a question? You know, <laughs> or how, how, how are they going to have a question? And, and um, that's a really interesting kind of conversation, too, because you realize that uh, questions are collaborative. 
questions develop yep. over time. Questions yep. are the representation of intellectual development. You start out with one question, you often end with a different one. <laughs> and that is reflective of the depth of the learning process. But if you, if you somehow think that what you're doing is always about where you're getting as opposed to the yep. why, as you just said, uh, and how you got here, and the reflective process that allows you to to um, start again, recommit. <laughs> uh, you you really need to have that dimension for an education really to be rich and for it to stick. Yeah, I'm thinking as as you're talking. Actually, my mind was taken back to last week's guest, uh, Jonathan Adler from Olin College, who's a psychologist, uh, and, and his area of expertise is in in narrative psych the psychology of narrative and, oh, yeah. and its importance and the formation of personality. And so, and, and, and apparently if I understood our conversation last week, that doesn't, that happens pretty late it happens, starts to happen around puberty. And, and so the kids coming into college are kind of, they're still, you know, they're, they're still wrestling with these difficult questions of identity, but it's, but it's okay I think you know one of the things we we view kind of we we have in the past viewed school as this thing where you you get you get all the answers right and you move on. That's right. Uh, yeah. Rather than this thing where we actually are developing the questions and and giving different answers to them over time. Yeah, and I think that's one of the major. Um, I mean, this is something that's built in, I think, to um, American secondary and higher education. The notion uh, that something changes, something shifts after secondary education. Uh, it may be that secondary education needs to be reformed as well. Your, your, your show may have um, another whole, whole chapter to it. <laughs> but it is true that often uh, students are coming with prior educational experience that are, um, that's very heavily weighted toward uh, the sort of short-term uh, goals. Uh, of getting the right answer, as you said, instead of the longer-term exploration that makes you start to wonder uh, how the question got formed in the first place. And and I actually think that the answer to the question to the parents is very important, which is that um, we'll work on this together. Your your child will yeah. will be working on this question um, over time, and they'll be in a course where they get to with other people who are interested in this same kind of approach, and they will be working on these things together. And that kind of collaboration, um, recognizing that education is inherently collaborative, inherently relational, um, and that the greatest outcomes come when you figure out how to ask for help, uh, I think is really important learning to happen in those first years. And actually, so you've used the term collaboration a number of times. And actually, in going through the, um, uh, and, and, and actually, let me let me set this up a little better than that. So, I, in terms of what higher education needs or the ways in which we have gaps, I think there are different answers for professional education and liberal education. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the yeah. and they come together. Um, you know, there are polls. Um, uh, that that these different types of education represent, and say medical education and engineering education will share some of the emphasis on 
particular treatments and results and knowledge that can result in um, actions in the world in a particular mm-hmm. way, whereas liberal education is more is itself largely concerned with bigger questions and 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 less concerned with action in in the world, and yet it actually the the there there are ways in which engineering education and medical education are can can be quite collaborative and liberal education has traditionally been kind of individualistic uh, as 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 many of its faculty are individualistic and so mm-hmm. uh, it seems that the po- the poles that are that were kind of stuck on from past practices um, are are quite quite different and you just use the term collaboration in connection with connection so in, in what sense is is connections collaborative well i want to pick up on something you just said and, and just to okay. underscore that there's that um, the the mission of connecticut college the mission statement is is to educate students um, to put the liberal arts into action as citizens of a global society so <laughs> i love the emphasis on action in the liberal arts, that is part of our mission, and I do think that that's partly how we've gotten to where we are in um, in this new approach to liberal education, in connections. Uh, those polls that you talk about um, as a, um, sort of a, a traditional approach to education as being individualistic um, and um, more practice-based um, yep. uh, professional education as being one where people uh, resolve things in groups and in labs. I mean, I, I actually think mm, you can't make a completely clean break, and I no. tried to make that point earlier, even in my own music education, is that yep. the the uh, the collaborative and the 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 performative was not really separable from the from the um, the individuals. Uh, and intellectual pursuits. So, um, nonetheless, I think that the world of education is turning toward an understanding that you that the sum is going to be greater than its parts if yeah. you figure out the way to link them together. And one of my goals. <laughs> would be to produce a kind of student that no longer says, oh, well, those are my academics, and here are my extracurriculars, and here, (laughs) Um, and recognizing, in fact, that each one of these ways um, of exploration uh, has a different thing to bear, brings a different uh, element and a different sense of purpose to what one is doing, so that you actually realize that it's all contributing in yes. in very very um, important ways. Well, and I, I think this just uh, we've had um, uh, Barry Johnson on the show who's written a, a book a long time ago called um, um, Polarity Management, and of course mm-hmm. Aristotle <laughs> talked about it in the Nicomachean Ethics with the Golden Mean. But um, but but this idea that well, what what's what's the right answer? Teamwork or individual work? Uh-huh, what, yeah. What's the right answer? Inhaling or exhaling? They they all need each other. Uh, what's the right answer? Disciplinary knowledge or or general integration? We, we, clearly, we need all of these things, but yet yeah. somehow we've got stuck into well, this is the one right way, and in, in the discipline of X, this is the one right way to think about this and and 
and I think it's so interesting and telling that that the connections uh, uh, curriculum rose through ex- intentionally interdisciplinary centers. Of course, it did, uh-huh. um, um, and but but that 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 integration didn't take place in the main culture uh, originally. It took place in this in these hot houses and of the centers that that occurred. Well, uh, no, I'm I'm going to push back on that a little okay. bit um, because right. um, I think it also took root here because of an unusually collaborative and uh, and open faculty where the yes we have lots of departments and <laughs> and and I do agree that the that the centers for interdisciplinary scholarship were catalyzers but I think that they also reflected a kind of collaborative nature a very a strength of the college that already existed and 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 so those centers built on it. I really do feel that something different is going on here um, and has been for a very long time. And so Connections ultimately is a manifestation of that okay. collaborative strength. Beautiful. Yeah. Let's, uh, we and need I to really take a little... on the floor of the faculty <laughs> as no, those I'm... discussions were taking place. I'd never seen anything quite like it. The way uh, so many people who came to this work from their own different vantage points... We're asking each other uh, questions that helped um, further the argument, uh, and I have a story to tell about that. That's what seems special. Let's we need to take a let's take a break. I want let's come back and I'll, I'll let you tell that story. I think it's an important one for us to hear. Okay. This is Big Beacon Radio with our special guest Catherine Bergeron. Uh, we're going to hear an interesting story after we come back from the break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of Three Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1 866 472 5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. 
And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. Our final segment is sponsored by Big Beacon's upcoming webinar. Join us Wednesday, this Wednesday, the 29th of March at 4 p.m. Eastern for four reasons why everybody needs a coach. Learn the four ways in which coaching can help your academic career and leadership. And learn how you can join Big Beacon's free drop-in coaching sessions today. Go to bigbeacon.org to sign up or write to me, Dave Goldberg, at deg at bigbeacon.org to find out more. So uh, we're back with uh, Catherine Bergeron, president of Connecticut College and Catherine, um, you were just about ready to tell us a story of um, some of the discussions and and uh, ways in which connections emerged from from the faculty. So, tell us. So, I the story that uh, that is uh, is something that I I don't think I'll ever forget this moment. Uh, the, it it had to do with the faculty meeting that in which the faculty were voting on the framework of the four-year experience, okay? So they decided to do the series of votes that would um, put this curriculum into place in a, uh, uh, in a sort of overarching architectural way. We'd, we'd lay out the framework and then have a series of meetings about all the individual parts. Yep. And so... The person who was leading the faculty meeting at that time, Professor Jefferson Singer, who is now the dean of the college, he said, before we take a vote, before we have any discussion on this motion, I would like to ask everyone who had taken part over the last two-plus years in the various workshops and um, working groups that had been associated with um, this curricular change. I'd like everyone to stand and remain standing as I read the names of these groups, um, and then just so that people can be recognized. And so he read off the name of one working group after another, after another, after another, after another, and by the time he was finished, 80% of the faculty was standing. And that's what I call collaboration. That was a, a moment that represented before everyone that the thing that we were embarking on was actually a shared experience, and everyone had contributed his or her part in some significant way. To me, it gives me faith. Yeah. Well, and it's so interesting. Sometimes people come to me as a consultant and want want me to give a one-off. I've done this, actually, given a... <laughs> Actually, when I do it, I say you can't do it the way you want me to do it. But uh, say, Dave, how how do we get faculty buy-in? Yeah. <laughs> and, and and so what that actually buy-in usually means, how do we coerce faculty to agree yeah. with the thing that I want to do as right. opposed to this participative, long-term listening and and discussion and so forth and, and that is time-consuming and uh, yet important, but somehow always seems to be overridden by more urgent matters. So, so that no, that is a beautiful story, and and I, I sort of want to follow up on that by you know talking. You and I talked the other day about um, you know the viewpoint of a whole new engineer that yes, curriculum content and curriculum is is important, and but actually the story you just told was a story of how. Uh, was really a story of culture change, how to get people to actually say, no, this needs to be different and, and it's important that we do this together. So in what ways um, 
in what ways has, has and it's now you're into this uh, you know over three years um, um, I guess what the uh, 18 months or so into the into a new into the new curriculum what um, in what ways has the culture changed in what ways is the emotional experience different for faculty and students well I guess there are uh, different ways of responding to that I'll, I'll take the faculty first um, and and I, I think one of the things, I'll go back to your word, unleashing. I think when you take a group of highly motivated, intelligent, and dedicated people, that is, a faculty at a liberal arts college, or maybe I should say the faculty at Connecticut College, uh, and you give them the opportunity to to think about what they're doing differently. You unleash uh, some kinds of uh, energy and conviction and passion that may have lain dormant for a while. And mm. uh, I, I think about a faculty member, there's a, there's a kind of um, a new introductory level course that we're encouraging uh, people to create, and we're calling them con courses. And they uh, are uh, courses that students will take in their in their first year and into their sophomore year as well, where the introduction to a problem or a discipline is also purposefully skewed or um, augmented with work um, and, or a problem from another discipline. Okay, so that's what the concourse is: is trying to yeah. give students. Uh, an idea of how you might think from more than one disciplinary perspective. Yes. And the faculty, in order to produce one of these courses, they can take a course that they've they've already taught and then actually um, learn how to morph it. And and they have to go to a uh, a seminar in the Center for Teaching and Learning uh, to do this, and they are doing it with other faculty members who have yep. gone through the same process. Um, and one faculty member said to me. He was in the pilot group that was that was uh, revising their courses in this way, and and he basically said, "I feel like uh, I feel like my life has changed. Effectively, I yeah. feel like I'm an entirely different person because of this work I'm getting to do with my colleagues. This yeah. opportunity I'm getting to see my own discipline, but also my colleagues in a new way." Uh, he was like a different person uh, before my eyes, and that was a beautiful thing. Uh, and and I and I think about um, a faculty member who's an American historian, and yep. she is the faculty member who is leading um, the pathway on peace and conflict. So she's mm. an American historian. And the work that she was doing with students in particular uh, and on this pathway led her to realize that she needed to really teach a course on World War I. And, you know, if you know anything about the his- history as a discipline, you'll realize that European history and American history are very, very different fields with different methodologies, mm-hmm. not just different content, but different approaches. And she said, this was... Scary. <laughs> yes. At this point in my career, I'm going to teach a course on World War One, 
And she said, but you know, I thought to myself, here's my opportunity. I could either keep doing what I've been doing in my life for the next 10 or 15 years of my college career, of teaching career, or I could do something different. And she chose the latter. And I never looked back. And I think it's uh, uh, the kind of energy that she is bringing to this work is uh, unmatched. And we're so fortunate. Yeah. So I, f- I feel like this, this, this verb unleashing is something that is uh, very meaningful in terms of what's happening in the, in the Connecticut College faculty right well, now. Well, and, I, and I, uh, beautiful stories. And I, th- I find, I, I actually, sometimes I grow tired of people wanting to bean count and measure new courses and, and show me the curriculum and so forth. But it's these stories these stories of both faculty and student unleashing that they're the important monitors these are the these are the canaries in the coal mine or it's not the coal mine it's what's a pie can't come up with a positive metaphor that's the opposite of a coal mine but it's it's <laughs> the beauty it's the beautiful part and it's these stories that we should be paying attention and and my friends that want to measure these things quantitatively I'm not opposed to it but this kind of unleashing you don't need a t test you you don't need um, it uh, you get it's not ten percent; it's ten x. It's different yeah. from the way things are. So, and yeah. I, 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 we're close to. We've got a, just a minute or two left, and I, I, I don't want to leave. You know, part of our conversation the other day, I think we were both surprised of our mutual use of the L L word, <laughs> and um, then then. Do you know? Do your listeners know what you mean when you say? No, the I'm going to. So uh, they know it. Probably know it's not liberal. They probably know that it's love, and mm-hmm. and so we both kind of were surprised, I think, when we started to tell stories that this is actually uh, an act of love, this kind of transformation. And I I'll, I want, anyways, to what, I want to give you the last word as to, the, the, to explain the ways in which you believe that's the case at Connecticut College. Well, I think the best teaching is always a relational experience. It's always going to be based on passion in some way, some deep conviction uh, that you bring to, to your students, that your students bring to you <laughs> that, kind of, uh, that kind of engagement and re-engagement is really what the best teaching is about. So yeah. it is always based on, on love, but then I think that love means many things. And one let's of not, let's means, not explore them. We've just got a few seconds left. Yeah. But. Well, it has to do with trust. It has to yeah. do with trusting the incredible creativity that is available in our faculty and in our students to make something bigger. If we want to create the new leaders of our new century, we actually have to trust and, 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 and unleash the kind of creativity that is there and that we will be, will be the future of the best liberal arts education in the United States. Catherine, thank you so much, and best wishes to you and your faculty as you go forward on this important mission. Thank you, Dave. It was wonderful talking with you. Been listening to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. A special thanks to Catherine Bergeron and Connecticut College. Help transform higher education. Join the movement to unleash a new generation of innovators by learning more at bigbeacon.org. Join us next week, same time, same channel, in our quest to transform higher education. 
Thank you for tuning in to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Please join Dave Goldberg soon for another edition. Listen every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For additional information about our programs or to find out about the next show, please visit bigbeacon.org. We'll talk again very soon.